podcast one production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Yeah, this is The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall, and Adam is a health and fitness economist. And in each episode, he breaks down a topic by analyzing all of the info available to reveal the latest secrets, shortcuts, and tips to make achieving health, happiness, and performance easy. I'm Alex, Adam's producer, and I act as like a voice for the people. I ask questions for you, and I apply these hacks into my life and report back to Adam. And Adam, I don't always get it right, but I definitely try my hardest. We've been on break. We've been trying lots of hacks, and it's great to be back in the studio with you. How was the break, mate? You've been doing lots of research. Yeah, no, it's been exciting, mate. I'm really excited about being back and obviously been using myself as a guinea pig uh, as usual for our for our uh, loyal tribe of people out there that are trying to get healthier and happier. And uh, I can't wait to share some of them hacks in coming episodes. And uh, certainly my wife's been a little bit... Uh, over me trying these different hacks from different times, whether it's been fasting or whether it's been trying to live to a hundred with some of my new lifestyle hacks and even having a little crack at some vegan type eating, which, uh, you know, when you like your meat, it's been a bit of a challenge. So I can't wait to share some of these new hacks in the coming episodes. And today we are talking about the top six hacks to lose belly fat because we are about to come into summer and people start thinking about that stomach fat. And you know what, even in winter, I think about the stomach fat. And you've been really looking into this on how to get rid of stomach fat versus just general fat, because it does make life a bit different. And it starts with the different types of fat. Certainly does. And I think a lot of us, you know, think fat is fat. And, uh, you know, when you have a look at the different fat that, that covers your body, it, it's really interesting that there is actually two types of human fat. Fat isn't a bad thing necessarily. It was actually designed, you know, for our survival. You know, it was stored energy. It was used for our hormones. So fat plays a crucial role, you know, on our bodies um, as far as our survival as a race goes. But subcutaneous fat, which is the fat that you see that jiggles on the back of some women's arms at the tuck shop <laughs> or uh, some- no, not just women's arms, my bloody arms, mate. (laughs) And, uh, you know, fat that surrounds the legs and the hips, you know, that's, that's what we call the healthier type of fat, subcutaneous fat. And that usually makes up about 90% of the fat on our bodies traditionally. And, um, it's, it's really vital, like I said, about, you know, keeping us warm, housing lots of hormones, particularly hormones that help us stay full, like leptin, which is a hormone that tells our uh, brains uh, that we don't need to eat any more food and it provides energy for our bodies. So that fat's cool. You know, it's seen as sexy back in the day. The hourglass figure was something that, you know, was perceived, you know, through our ancestors, something very attractive because Mm. when women had the right amount of fats on their body, that was seen as reproductive. That was seen as something that, you know, they could then reproduce. So as survival of our race goes, having fat on our bodies was very much something that we're attracted to as well. So subcutaneous fat's very good, whereas visceral fat, um, that's the hard fat that really is known as the beer belly. That's the one that sticks out um, that a lot of guys have. Uh, women, unfortunately, these days are also likely to have this sort of fat as well. And it's largely because of diet, lifestyle, and a number of factors which are really you know, encroaching our health at the moment, which weren't predisposed to in you know, generations gone by. So the visceral fat's so dangerous because it actually strangles our organs. It's internal fat. And apart from strangling these major organs, it also leaks out a number of chemicals, uh, things that we call cytokines, which essentially inflame our bodies. They inflame, you know, our arteries, they inflame our organs, they inflame the liver um, by dumping the liver with lots of free fatty acids, which are then converted into triglycerides and cholesterol, which we know is not good for our health. And this then in turn increases our risk dramatically of things like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, and stroke. So it's a really, really awful thing, visceral fat. And it's really 
it's like another organ in the body. It really overtakes the body and starts to crowd it out and it starts to really make us inflamed and unhealthy. So the hard fat, you know, that real protruding fat is what we call visceral fat. And and I know that there's a lot of different people out there that will be saying, oh, you know, the best indicator is BMI. And unfortunately, we've got it so wrong in so many ways. You know, we are where we are today for that reason, because we went by a, a false premise of what we should eat, different things like food pyramids, how we should exercise. And we all know now that our outlook on that's changing very much. But the BMI is one of them things that's just outdated. It's absolute bullshit. I just want to get really clear on visceral fat. I've got a bit of a belly and I can squeeze it and it's a bit jiggly. It's not hard like my my dad's belly. Is that still visceral fat or is it omyomorse of the other one? Yeah, it sounds like it's more subcutaneous fat. As I said, you know, subcutaneous fat is one that sort of wraps around your navel and it's really easy to pinch and grab hold of, whereas, and it shifts around, whereas... So this the Homer Simpson the jiggly Homer fat, Simpson I mean, which is not fat. great either. It's not great either, but if you had to pick one of the two, you know, you definitely, you know, want the uh, subcutaneous fat. Because as I said, the visceral fat strangles our organs, leaks out these chemicals which inflame our bodies, and we now know that inflammation is the largest cause of all diseases. So, And that's the hard sort of rock... Beer belly, you know, the protruding belly that sticks out. And, yeah, right. And, um, you know, that's the sort of fat that we're really trying to really not have. And, and look, people store it in different places. You know, you see that people that are thin on the outside, but they're fat on the inside, you know, um, they're tofos, they call them fat, thin on the outside and, and fat on the inside. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, these people have a much higher rate of, of um, things like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease than people that are actually just fat. So people that are what I call skinny fat, um, that are walking around and, you know, they uh, yeah. have skinny little arms, skinny little legs and skinny little necks and a big fat gut. They're the ones that are at greatest <laughs> risk of all these diseases. So, And Adam, on those measurements, like I alluded to before, whether it's jiggly fat or hard fat, you should have a good, healthy waistline. And it's 80 centimeters for women and 94 centimeters for men is roughly regarded as a healthy circumference for your belly. It certainly isn't. You know, it's pretty simple to sort of gravitate measure. It only takes a couple of seconds. But the reality is that you look at our health statistics, which are scary. In the last 30 years, our, our waistlines have grown on average by 10 centimeters greater than they were 30 years ago. So we've shifted 10 centimeters of fat around our midsections, you know, in the last couple of decades. So, but the reality is, is that, you know, there's a lot of people out there that have doubled their chances of dying um, because their, their bellies are 110 centimeters for women and 120 centimeters for men. So if you've got their measurements, you've just doubled your risk of dying prematurely. So it just shows how important these waist measurements are. I'm not a fan of BMI. Um, you know, BMI is basically where you take uh, your, your waist and you divide it by your height, um, which is just BS. You know, I'm, I've been obese for my whole life as an athlete, which, you know, is ridiculous. So I was carrying yeah. good muscle. Yeah. I had no fat on me. And there are a lot of people out there that are carrying lean body mass and we know the importance of muscle. You know, muscle is medicine and we know that metabolically it helps us, you know, starve off a number of diseases. So the last thing you want to be doing is promoting something that actually focuses on purely the scales. We need to be looking at these things like the type of fat and measurements around key organs, which is what grabbing a, a tape measure does. And I always like to have some fun with it as well. I always say to people that, you know, if you really want to predict your future, like Michael J. Fox, you don't need a time machine. Just simply stand up now, <laughs> look down. If you can't see your toes, you're in big trouble. If that belly's hanging over your toes, you're in big trouble. And, you know, if you're lucky enough to see your toes, but you can't see your old fella, you're also in trouble because things don't grow in the shade, Alex, as we know. So, yeah. you know, statistics are showing now, statistics are showing now that, you know, two out of three men 
uh, are struggling to get an erection because they're overweight. So it's pretty scary to mm. think that, uh, you know, having that big protruding visceral fat belly is actually affecting another part of, uh, your, uh, organs, which is the never region. So we need to be yeah. really mindful of that as well. And Adam, I know that the key to reducing your stomach, you have mentioned to me that it's not about counting calories, but it's about understanding how our hormones play a role in the complex fat burning matrix. So can you tell us how about hormones work in these chemical reactions? Yeah. Like if you look at it now and it's pretty simple, isn't it? You, you go to every single corner and what, there's a gym there. There's a 24 hour gym. When you look at how many gyms are on every street corner, when you look at the fact that there's more fat diets than ever, yet we're fatter than ever, like, like the statistic I just shared, 10 centimeters of fat growth around our bellies in the last 30 years. Um, you know, obesity rates are skyrocketing. Two out of three Aussies are now overweight or obese. So what we have been doing, which is basically saying eat less and move more just doesn't work. The government's message for years and years has been, you know, we're pigs, we have no willpower, we eat way too much and we're lazy. We're not exercising enough. But the reality is calorie is not a calorie. And we've spoken about this on previous podcasts that when you go and eat a calorie of protein and a calorie of sugar, the hormonal response that has on your appetite and on the way that your body stores energy is so different. So we need to get our heads around the fact that this is an outdated method. Counting calories is absolute BS these days. Yes, there's some basic premise around science that it's all about thermogenesis, calories in versus calories out. But the reality is, is that it's our hormones that control how our genes are switched on how that DNA inside our body then expresses itself. So really hormones are just chemical messengers that just communicate information throughout our bodies and direct our metabolisms. And they tell us, are we hungry? Are we tired? Should we burn fat or should we store fat? So ultimately the key to losing that belly fat fast is controlling your hormones. And the main hormones are insulin, which we know is a response to eating food, particularly carbohydrates, cortisol, which is related to stress, and the ghrelin and leptin hormones, which are related to hunger and satisfaction when you eat food. So if you can't control these hormones from your lifestyle and from your diet, you've got no chance of losing weight at all. And the biggest thing about what these hormones do as well is they feed into inflammation. And we now know that inflammation is the root cause of most diseases in our society. So we don't want to be exposing ourselves to things that inflame our body, whether it's the environment, which is toxic through plastics and, and different things, or lifestyles like stress and a lack of sleep, which will cause inflammation. So Inflammation, you know, makes our fat cells resistant to dying. And uh, once they become resistant, it's pretty hard to sort of change your, your physique as well. We've taken a lot on board already. Okay, so we've learned there's two types of fat, subcutaneous fat and visceral fat. That's the hard fat. Look, both are not good, but visceral fat is probably the worst one. Either way, we want to help you reduce your bellies and get yourself looking as fit and as healthy as possible. 80 centimeters for women, 94 centimeters for men is a recommended healthy circumference of your belly. We've learned that it's all about controlling your hormones, insulin, cortisol, things like that will help you get your stomach fat in control. And inflammation, reducing inflammation is a really big key because that can help the fat resist actually losing weight, which now, Adam, we've learned all that. We can lead into our hacks and we're going to split these over two episodes because there's a lot in there. There's six hacks. We're going to focus on the first three so far. And hack number one is sleep on it. So let's touch on how sleeping can actually help your belly fat. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, like I own a company that specializes in weight loss and, you know, particularly, uh, you know, for guts around uh, beer bellies and whatnot. And, and I always, you know, get people asking me straight away, what's the best diet? What's the best exercise? What's the, what's the silver bullet? And if I had to pick one single thing and it shocks a lot of people, I say, focus on just getting good sleep. And they look at me and go, what? Really? And it's such a, 
I suppose it's such a, you know, a lifestyle thing and a, an achievement thing in our society that we feel like we have to be working so hard to lose fat. And then when I tell people all I have to do is go and sleep, they're like, but I'm not doing anything. You are. That's what people don't realize. You don't need to be out there flogging yourself for hours and hours, yeah. you know, in the gym or, or starving yourself or whatever. You just need to control some simple things. And, you know, I always talk about, you know, the, the big rock theory. And I love this, you know, it's Stephen Corvey from the seven habits of highly effective people. And he talks about filling up a glass and the most effective way to fill up a glass isn't by going and trying to pick up little granules of sand or pebbles and put it in the glass. It's about getting the big rocks, finding out what the big rocks are and putting them in the glass so you can fill that glass up much more effectively and quicker. And that, that's what I see with people in the health and fitness world. You know, they're focusing on, do I eat organic? Should I eat organic avocado, organic bananas? And like, yet they're sleeps crap. And I'm like, mate, that's a, that's a bit of sand, you know, eating organic bananas or non-organic bananas. What about your sleep? What about your stress? And yeah. these are the big things that people are overlooking and they're so controllable. And we, once we get these right, you can then worry about filling the, the, the cracks in the glass between the big rocks with the sand and the pebbles. So I applaud everyone out there today to focus on the simple things you can control. And you don't always have to feel like you're straining yourself or killing yourself to get a great result, but controlling big things like sleep. Now we've done a podcast on sleep before. So if you want to listen to some of the hacks that we did around that, but sleep is the biggest missing ingredient in our health in modern society today. You know, we've been exposed to modern light, which, you know, is probably the worst thing that's ever happened to humankind is the invention of modern light. It's thrown out all our circadian rhythms. It's obviously allowed us to eat at times that we shouldn't be eating. It's allowed us to work ridiculous hours. You know, now shift work has been classed as a type two carcinogenic um, cause of cancer, essentially. Jeez. So if you're working shift work, I hate to say it, you probably should get yourself another job um, because it does promote d awful diseases like cancer. So so sleep is the most important thing you can do for optimizing your hormone production. Let's not beat around the bush. You know, sleep is when all the magic happens. It allows your body to heal. It helps your body build muscle. And it's when your body burns fat. You know, studies have shown, Alex, just one bad night of sleep. I'm just talking about one bad night of sleep makes you as insulin insensitive as a type two diabetic. Mm. Type two diabetics can't utilize the energy in their food from carbohydrates um, to be utilized in muscle. They then store it as fat. So if you have one bad night's sleep, you then get up in the next morning and you're naturally going to crave sugary fat foods because your body's oh, gone into stress. I do that. I do that. If I've not had a good night's sleep or I've been working late and then had an early start the next day, whew, I can hoe through some food the next day. I'm starving. I'm just trying to look for any fuel. And it's usually pretty carby or starchy stuff that I'm after because I want to get my spike up. Well, it's your genetic, you know, survival mechanism kicking in. It's the hormones that are kicking in when you haven't had a good night's sleep. Things like leptin mm. and ghrelin, which we spoke about before, which are, you know, the hormones that really dictate whether or not you're hungry, what you're craving, if you're satisfied when you start to eat. These hormones go in, in, into a disarray. So what happens is because you've had a lack of sleep, all of a sudden your body's going, I'm stressed, I need energy. So it's smart. And from a survival mechanism point of view, we don't have willpower. You know, we were never designed to resist a donut. If a donut was out there, we'd eat it. So, you know, you bang an animal over the head, you know, a thousand years ago, you're not going to, you know, store it away because you didn't have a fridge. So you ate the whole animal, you know, as much as you could. So you've never been a, a, a human has never been designed to actually just moderate its eating. So you've really got to eliminate that. So one way to do that is controlling your hormones. So if you can't control your hormones, you're in a lot of trouble and sleep is the master regulator of all our hormones. So it's going to make sure that we're really in a good way to not only not crave these crap foods, but also utilize the energy out of the foods. Because we often say, Alex, you're not just what you eat, you are what you absorb. And the efficiency of your body to utilize the calories in food is greatly diminished when you don't get enough sleep. So 
The other study that I loved around this was just showing how powerful sleep was. They took two groups of people, Alex. They put them on the same amount of calories. So it was a calorie-restricted diet, yet one of the groups got to sleep for the eight hours that's recommended, and the other one only got to sleep for about five hours to six hours. At the end of the study, the group that had slept for eight hours lost 55% more fat than the group that didn't. Wow, man, that's a huge, huge difference. And also, I'm always curious about this. What hours did they sleep? Because someone might go, oh, I'm getting eight hours of sleep. But they might be going to sleep at like one in the morning and they're sleeping till 9 a.m. And I reckon you've, you always bang on about optimal hours to sleep. Before 10 a.m., it's like getting double. Yeah. Oh, well, before 10 p.m., they, it's like getting double. They call it the Goldilocks hours, and that's between... 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. in the morning is where you get most bang for your buck and you reach the deeper stages of sleep where a lot of the recovery and, and uh, you know, a lot of the removal of toxins actually occur. So that's the Goldilocks period they're talking about. And in this study, that the participants went to sleep at about 10.30. So they were trying to get it in that, that period. Um, whereas the other group, you know, they went to, to bed much later. So it just goes to show that something as simple as putting your head on the pillow a few hours earlier can lead to such big results around fat loss. Unbelievable stuff, mate. So let's recap across that. If you want to start setting up a good foundation of getting fit and healthy and also focusing on your belly fat like this episode, fill your glass full of big rocks, then worry about the sand to fill up the rest of it later. I can't tell you, Adam, how much I love that theory. It really visualizes it. And one of the big rocks we can do for everything in our life, whether it's just belly fat or health and fitness, is get a good night's sleep. So getting to bed earlier and earlier to rise is even better. Remember, if you have a bad night's sleep, it's like you're a type 2 diabetic and the next day you won't be able to resist it. You'll be looking for that extra food for that insulin spike. So it makes sense. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Hack number two, Adam, is relax. Just relax. You know, it comes back to another really unnatural environment that we live in these days, that stress is persistent. You know, we used to only have stress, you know, when we're being chased by a hungry animal or trying to chase something down to eat ourselves or fighting with the missus, <laughs> which I'm sure happened back yeah. in Dave, the caveman's time as well. These days, you know, stress is around us all the time and our body doesn't know the difference between being late for a meeting or not being able to meet a deadline or the stress of, you know, avoiding a hungry animal. Our, our bodies have, haven't evolved to really differentiate between levels of stress. It still releases the master hormone called cortisol. Now, cortisol's really the poor bastard child. In a lot of ways, we need some sort of inflammation in our bodies because our bodies adapt to stress and we become stronger as a result of the right amount of stress. But the problem is, is that we're getting exposed to way too much stress. And unfortunately, what stress does, because it puts our body into that fight or flight response, is it really spikes our blood sugar levels because we need instant energy. Back in the day, we were being chased by a wild animal. Your body needed a quick source of energy. So it gave a quick you know, release of, of uh, blood sugar. And all of a sudden, you have that energy to run away from that hungry animal. But the problem is these days is we're continually getting this insulin spiking and this, you know, blood sugar variability where our blood sugar levels are going up and down all the time. And this is what's causing inflammation. And we know insulin leads to fat storage. Our bodies store fat when they have insulin present. So, you know, and it stops fat burning. We can't burn fat at the same time that we've got insulin in our bodies. So we cannot ever get rid of the belly fat when we've got insulin in our systems. And we know now that stress as a result of whatever it might be, releases cortisol into our body. So this is what's going to cause us to store fat around the belly. 
Well, Adam, actually, I've been doing yoga at the moment because it's been too cold this winter to do any high-intensity training. I've been a wimp and gone inside where it's warm. But I've actually been very calm throughout the day because of all the heavy breathing and the stretching that goes along with it. And you don't just have to go to yoga to do this. You can do this by just patting a dog, walking a dog, you know, hanging out with your friends, just doing deep breathing on the bus or even while you're, you know, parked out front of your office before you actually go in if you don't get public transport to work. And Adam... On top of this, I know you've got something that you want to talk about called Eat the Rainbow, which I love. Yeah, we'll, I'll talk about Eat the Rainbow, but what I loved about your little tip there for everybody, and it's so simple, once again, like sleep, it's just breathe. You know, it's the thing that we do more than anything else. And most people don't know how to breathe properly. They don't know how to breathe through their diaphragm. They don't realize that they're breathing through their chests. And they don't realize that when they're taking these shallow breaths, that what it is actually doing is sending a message to the brain that you're under stress. So you're being under, you're being a, under attack as such. So that shallow breathing, that fast, shallow breathing, you know, sends that signal to the brain that there's stress around us. We have to, you know, run, we have to flee. So what happens is all of a sudden, you know, your body producing cortisol just because you're not breathing right. So a Japanese research study is actually showing that if you just take six deep breaths from your belly and the easiest way to start with any sort of breathing technique is just lay on the ground, put your hand on your belly and just try and breathe from your belly. And you see how hard it is. Most people breathe from their chest because they're so tight, but just six deep breaths, Alex, can actually restore your body back to a relaxed state and it will stop cortisol from rising. So there's a little hack in itself. And, and you touched upon a dog and these mindful activities, you know, once again, when you're mindful and you, you're basically in the moment, your breathing naturally comes back to its normal state. So if I can allude to anything, just learn how to breathe properly. This will really help with cortisol. And then you spoke about the rainbow. Well, there's, you know, so much, you know, antioxidants and, and phytonutrients and all these big bloody words that people want to use in fruits and vegetables. And, and that's the key as well, is that there's so many great little things in a lot of foods that actually help mitigate the, the, the response of cortisol in our body through releasing different enzymes. That if you are eating a good diet, you'll also find that you're a lot calmer as well. Whereas when you have foods like sugar and saturated fats or, you know, bad fats, what's going to happen is that your body's fighting against itself and it's stressful from the inside and that's going to create stress on the outside. And Adam, that leads us in perfectly into hack number three. There's a quite a lot to get through in this one and this is avoiding the spike. Yeah, avoiding the spike. People might be saying, what the hell is that? And that's the insulin spike. We alluded to it earlier that insulin is the key master hormone when it comes to fat storage. Your body will not be able to burn fat when you have insulin present within the bloodstream. So the key is making sure that we don't have insulin riddling our body all the time. We now know that, you know, obviously having insulin consistently throughout our body, bodies, which is caused through what we eat, namely carbohydrates, um, protein can increase, you know, insulin levels depending on the type, but not to the same level that a lot of these carbohydrates do. This is the key to actually good health because it stops inflammation. Um, and it's very important um, to pick the right type of carbohydrates. And when you eat these carbohydrates is just as important. So I now know that everybody's jumping on the bandwagon and bashing carbohydrates, but there's a thing called the glycemic index, which essentially is how your body responds to the type of carbohydrate you eat, the blood sugar response you have to it. So people that are diabetic are aware of this and have to be very mindful of the types of carbohydrates they eat. So they really want to eat carbohydrates that are slow releasing, what we call slow releasing carbohydrates. And, uh, you know, the more that you eat these slow releasing carbohydrates, the better chance you have of having sustained energy throughout the day and avoiding these, uh, these insulin spikes that we like to call. And they also allow you to feel fuller for longer. So right timing is everything. And, and talking about timing of carbohydrates, so the carbohydrates you want to avoid which are pretty simple, really, are really processed carbohydrates. 
Um, anything white is not right, as they used to always say, which sounds very racist. Right. But, um, you know, white breads and, and, you know, a lot of these foods that are white, uh, your flowers and whatnot, you know, are generally, you know, higher uh, glycemic indexed than foods that have, you know, whole grains and fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. So you really want to limit the amount of sugar that you've got in your diet because um, this will have a huge impact on, on, on your blood sugar levels. But it's also the timing of your foods now. It's becoming very trendy now. I wrote about it three years ago. I called it the time window, the eating window, the feeding window. And I used to recommend people eat between, you know, nine to 11 hours in a day at the most. Um, and what this has now become better known as is called intermediate fasting. Hugh Jackman obviously got jacked and ripped for his role as Wolverine. And he followed this program, uh, Alex, where he only ate for eight hours of the day. So he'd get up in the morning mm. and if he started eating at 10 o'clock in the day, he would then have his last bite of food and last drink of calorie calories by um, six o'clock that night. So he was only eating within a, in an eight hour period. So they found, you know, just from a research point of view that it nearly leads to a 10% reduction in gut fat over 12 weeks. So if you just simply reduce the amount of wow. hours that you eat between it, the same. So if you get two groups of people and they eat the same amount of calories, but one group eats them over 12 hours or more. And the other group eats within eight hours, the same amount of calories, they end up losing 10% more gut fat than the other group that ate the same amount of calories which is amazing, isn't it? And we've touched on this before, is the fact that when you're doing this, eating, like you said, low GI carbs and low sort of insulin spiking food will help you, A, stop having blood sugar spikes when you're not eating and B, avoiding those cravings when you come back into your eating period. We also are going to do a couple fasting episodes later on down the track where we look at everything from intermediate fasting to eating windows, the 5-2 diet. We're really going to dive deep into that. But touching on it now is such a good way to think about fat. You can just lose belly fat by Reducing your window, which excites me, Adam, because uh, that's one less setup that I have to do. <laughs> well, there's so many hacks within a hack. You know, we spoke about, you know, eating these low GI carbohydrate sources, you know, and essentially, you know, these low GI carbohydrate sources are very high in fiber as well. And that's something that, you know, you talk about the big rocks, you know, with diets and stuff like that. And you get all these people that go on these fad diets because I've alluded to it in past podcasts that, you know, we are drawn to things like veganism or paleoism, just names because we want to feel like we're part of a tribe and being part of a tribe was one way that we survived as a species. But the reality is when you just pick these big rocks up, you're going to find that there's so many benefits inside these big rocks as well. So when you start to eat these really healthy foods like vegetables and fruit and, you know, um, whole grain sort, sorts of um, carbohydrates, you're going to find they're high in fiber. And, and we know that, you know, from studies that, you know, for each increase, you know, in fiber of 10 grams, we've seen a 4% reduction in gut fat. So if you're eating these low carbohydrate and high insulin spiking foods anyway, you're going to get the double benefit of not only having no insulin variability in your blood system, but you're also going to have this great benefit of fiber, which we now know has a direct impact on belly fat as well. So it's staggering, isn't it? Though, you know, most people are, uh, you know, not getting anywhere near the recommended amount of fiber for, for women. It's about 25 grams of fiber a day for men. They say we should get about 35 grams of fiber on average. They're saying Australians are getting closer to about 12 grams of fiber a day. Alex. So if you can focus on eating mm. these really slow releasing carbohydrate types of foods, you're also not only going to get that great insulin response, but you're going to get your fiber into your diet as well, which, you know, when you read about, you know, 10 grams of fiber leading to a 4% reduction in gut fat, I tell you what, I'd be chewing on, I'd be chewing on as much greens as I could, or, you know, flax seeds or, you know, beans and berries as I could, because I tell you what, um, you know, they've got plenty of fiber in them and they've also got, you know, what we spoke about earlier, lots of antioxidants, um, that are great for burning fat cells as well. So rip into your fiber. 
Huge amount of information there. And that's only the first three hacks for part one of how to drop the belly fat. We learned the two types of fat, subcutaneous fat versus visceral fat. We want to avoid inflammation. And once we understand all of that, we can start diving into the hacks, which is BMI is actually BS, Adam. We want to look at measurement and you just want to be able to see your feet. And the first three hacks were start to learn how important sleep is to everything that you do with your health and fitness, but of course your belly fat. Start to work on relaxing yourself to reduce cortisol. And then avoid the spike during the day by eating low GI carbs, more protein, look at intermittent fasting, and also increasing your fiber can reduce your gut by 4% decrease, which is Really, such a good amount of hack, and this is what you do as a health and fitness economist. You find the best bang for our buck, and all of these are done without me even having to do any exercise at all, and I've already started to reduce my stomach yet, which is really exciting, Adam, because the second part of this episode, mate, we're going to look at what happens when we just do all these things and get up there and start exercising and eating right as well. Looking forward to it, Alex. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Nick Slater. For more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app.